it should be more of a conversation. It should be a system where we're all learning from each other. In an instance where maybe science students are not engaging as much as they should, I think professors should always take a step further to really figure out why they're not participating as much as they should, because you never know the reason why they're not talking. It might be because they don't feel welcome as much. I think professors should definitely strive to promote that sense of um, community amongst themselves and their students. Hi, I'm Allison Pease, Associate Provost for Institutional Effectiveness. Hi, I'm Dara Byrne, Associate Provost for Undergraduate Retention and Dean of Undergraduate Studies. Today's podcast is going to be um, absolutely mandatory listening for everybody on campus. This is a treat discussing what a culturally affirming, inclusive, and anti-racist curriculum means to our students and to student leaders. And as always, the truth comes from the students. We ended up in this moment at the college because of our students and student leadership. And we're here in this moment in this podcast with true clarity because of the voices of our students. We urge you to take a listen to them and to connect with what culturally affirming, inclusive, and anti-racist pedagogy and curriculum could look like at John Jay. In order of first appearance, we hear from Tavon Pierce, University Student Senate Representative, Sam Asensio, Vice President of the LGBTQ and Allies Club, Carlos Hines, President of the Black Student Union, Rivka Cohen, President of the Hillel, and Pulumi Rajipalaji, President of the International Criminal Justice Club. go back to the principal conversation here about the college goal to create a or have a culturally affirming, inclusive and anti-racist curriculum and pedagogy. Let's start with what that means to you. So um, when I think uh, of a culturally affirming curriculum, I think that, that looks like allowing students to bring their identity to the table. Um, understanding that students are going to conceptualize their own experiences and its relation to the issues that they face. Um, and so, and when designing a curriculum, you have to understand that you don't, you don't know what students are going to be sitting in the classroom that you are going to be teaching. And you have to be able to design that curriculum in a way to give the students understanding, not only lecture, but to, to, to have them identify with the material that they're learning and give them the ability, ability to question and be able to answer any 
issues or situ or situations that come up in, in the classroom, professors have to understand um, students and their experiences with the intersectionality and um, races and, and backgrounds. Um, the curriculum has to be open and adaptable in order for the professors to be able to get the student to really process the, the information and take it with them um, in a way that's gonna help them in whatever career path they make. You know, what is essentially being an educator? How do you teach someone there are different styles of learning, there's different styles of educating. When we as educators and the students sit together in a classroom, we don't always take that into account. Um, I think the, the methodology of teaching isn't always equitable. You know, we always want it to be equal, but it's not equitable. And, you know, when we talk about um, equity and pedagogy, we need to think about, you know, how did these students get to the place that they are? You know, there's, there's class divide, there's race divide, there's divide between sexualities, religions, and et cetera, et cetera. There's so much that you can get into when you talk about these divides. And, you know, when we, when we talk about learning, we need to talk about, you know, the kinds of spaces that we're creating. You know, there's a difference between a safe first space, not necessarily a safe space because everyone views perspective differently. And there's a difference between that, you know, and, and making students feel like they belong and the cultural dissonance and, and that they feel in the college. You know, when, when we're speaking about cultural dissonance, we're talking about, you know, the, the majority culture or the, the culture that's the majority in the college and the way students interact with that majority. And so when these students are kind of having these conflict with the outside cultures around them, it's hard to enter a space, you know? And so oftentimes we think to ourselves like, oh, if we make this the safer space, you know, we're, we're making the most ideal learning environment, but that's not necessarily always the case. You know, we have to create braver spaces in terms of pedagogy. Um, we have to create spaces in which we contribute ourselves to active learning, where we learn to be active citizenships and we learn about our place in the world by interacting with ideologies that are not necessarily our own. But I think one of the things that you know, we forget, especially in terms of, of equity is, you know, how did we, these students get here? What are the resources? What are the steps that got them here? For example, you know, I'm LGBT. I didn't always get inclusive LGBT health education, you know? And so if I'm studying, for example, psychology or something that relates to health, I'm going to have a harder time because I don't relate to this material because I didn't get the resources necessary to get me there. And that's the same thing. We're not seeing ourselves you know, in education, we're not seeing ourselves reflected in what we're learning. So it makes it harder for us to connect. And we should include more controversial ideologies just because a professor may be uncomfortable with something doesn't mean they shouldn't teach it. They should be open and honest with, I don't understand this and allow the students to have discussions because that's what active citizenship is about. It's not just about this educator, you know, serving something to these students. It's about these, serve, these students serving something back. When I, when I think of pedagogy and higher education, um, I, I associate that with disenfranchisement, right? Because professors aren't trained in how to teach. They are trained in a specific area, right? They have a PhD, they're highly specialized, highly researched individuals um, that higher education seek out to bring them into the classroom, right? So a professor will come into the classroom having a vast knowledge of their field of specialty, um, but it often excludes pedagogy. It often excludes how do we teach this to this body of students, right? 
um, it often excludes a professor walking into the classroom and they see the students that are before them, right? And, um, and, and I feel that they lack the skills to be able to switch a teaching method because it's not something that they were taught, right? It's something that they just try, kind of figured out along the way. And so it's one of those things where when you look at higher education and you walk into a classroom and higher education and you start to hear uh, uh, certain things that the professor is saying, you, you see the methodology that the professor teaches from, and you look around the classroom and you see the students who are sitting in the classroom, I often wonder how is this pedagogy uh, contrib contributing to the trauma that the students have already walked into the classroom with? Or um, is this specific professor knowledgeable in that area and they know how to be flexible and bend uh, their teaching methods based upon uh, the students that are before them? Um, so that's one of the major concerns that, that I have, right? Um, the question becomes, is it useful for professors when they land a professorship to um, take a course themselves and different teaching uh, 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 methodologies or, or looking at pedagogy from a different lens, especially when you're teaching an institution uh, such as John Jay, where the student population is a vast majority um, uh, students of, of color. Um, when I think about pedagogy in general, um, I think it's people that are given the power to teach, knowing how to accept newness, something that they're not really used to. It's knowing going into your class the first day of going into your class the first day and looking around and saying, Oh, this is different. How do I approach this? It's going outside your classroom that day and just I guess keeping the students in mind and knowing how to take them into consideration when teaching and not neglecting any of their struggles and also learning how to place the societal's like stereotypes and discriminations aside when teaching and not promoting them. Um, I think those are like critical things when talking about this aspect of higher education learning because without this, it's just more or less going to keep on creating a more a more um, disunited society rather than one where we learn to accept one another regardless of differences. Professors need to be flexible with how they teach and what they teach when, uh, according to each class. Sometimes you, like professors have um, a certain pedagogy and they want to teach that way and they are very set in that way. And then they walk into a class and they may say, okay, based off of this um, first class, I can see that maybe this one topic I wanted to cover may be more harm, may do more harm than good for this class. So I should switch up how I approach it or if I approach it at all. And professors don't have that flexibility that, they need to be able to approach certain topics that may be 
sensitive towards certain groups. I'm on my life, talk to my barrel the whole night long. I'm on my life, talk to my barrel the whole night long. I'm trying to teach and show her now which way right from wrong. What I'm hearing from all of you is that you are wanting your professors to be more flexible in terms of their bodies of knowledge and how they approach the classroom based on the students who are there. So a phrase that a couple of you used when we spoke before was um, asking professors to check their privilege. What do you mean when you want a professor to check their privilege in how they teach a course? So the way I view uh, uh, the phrase, check your privilege, uh, in, in relation to professors is, um, don't come to class assuming that you are the know-it-all in the classroom, right? Um, because when that happens, you're not open to uh, dialogues that happen within the classroom. Um, when certain topics come up in the classroom, if, if one don't check their privilege at the door, then that professor becomes the, the authority on a particular topic in the classroom that that professor has no business being the authority on. And so what happens consequently when that happened is that um, you begin to see the professor's biases come out within the classroom. Um, and it may not be intentional, right? It may be unintentional, uh, but those biases may insult a student. Those biases may add to a particular trauma of the students that are, are sitting before them. So the idea of checking the privilege is to say to oneself as a professor, okay, this is what the material that we're teaching in this class. These are the possible areas that this may, material may bring us into. And this is what I'm equipped to do. This is what I'm not equipped to do. These are the conversations that I know I can have. And these are the conversations that I may need to bring another level of expertise into. Um, and, and those are the areas of checking the privilege, right? Um, that, that makes a big difference because although many professors speak on a lofty level with, with grand words, right? Um, for students of color in particular, we have the very sensitive to um, hearing certain things that affect or offend us. Um, and so when a professor come in with that knowledge, understanding that um, their white privilege must be checked at the door um, because they're walking into a classroom where the students are not of the same area, the same race, the, the, same, the same level, it makes a huge difference. If I may speak further to that, um, thank you, Carlos. I think the idea is that, you know, we need to come up with with models for our society to figure out a way to, to come together. You know, that's, that's checking your privilege, you know. Um, it's equitable because, you know, inequality, race, money, all of those things fit together in the solutions. And if you're not considering all of these things in your solutions, then the question I'm gonna ask you is, you know, what can we do to be better? You know, what are we doing wrong as educators? You know, we're living in an unequal nation and in, and in an unequal national state and we all have these resources differently allocated for each other. And we have to understand 
who ends up being disposable and who ends up being vulnerable and track those patterns. And so that, you know, when we say check your privilege, we're asking yourselves to question yourself more on how you create these disparities for these students. It's not enough to get a degree and begin teaching what you have been taught. You have to be socially, politically conscious and understand different cultural experiences and identities and be able to, to, like Sam was saying earlier, present a safe space for the students and the student voice to be able to, um, to, 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 again, to actually engage with the material that, that you, are, you are providing and like understanding that like your, your learning did not end when you got your degree. Your, your learning continues like in the classroom, it is not only the students who are learning, but you should be also learning too so that you can like change and adapt the way that you teach to better teach the, your students. To piggy off of that, piggyback off of that, I think um, professors need to understand that they may be the quote unquote expert on whatever topic they're teaching um, when in the classroom, but they're not an expert on anything else when they enter that classroom. They are there to guide the students and provide them with information, but to also learn from the students and better understand where they are coming from. And professors need to be open to criticism and being told, hey, that wasn't such a nice, wasn't such an appropriate way to address whatever topic you were addressing. Um, Can you fix it? Or can we talk about ways that you can fix that? And in my experience so far, I haven't met very many professors who are willing to have that conversation and are willing to put aside their um, expertise in whatever topic this is on to address problems that they have created in the classroom. Um, I think in regards to checking the privilege, like Carlos um, mentioned earlier, I think it also comes with knowing the kind of influence in regards to social learning you carry as a professor or a teacher. The things you teach now, some students might embody it and carry it carry it out into the society and, you know, continue practicing such. So I think it's quite important not to just teach based off the things you know, especially since the world is like rapidly changing. It's taking into account like other perspectives and not act like you know it all, like somebody mentioned earlier. Because when you do that, it creates like a sense of it just, the, the students don't feel connected with the material at all. So yeah, basically being sensitive to the fact that all the perspectives in the class also matter af- apart from like the things you've learned maybe four years ago during research or the professorship degree. So I'm going to throw something out here because this conversation is really changing my mind on something as most conversations that I have with you, um, certainly the one we had a couple of weeks ago, and now it's causing me to rethink. 
are we describing culturally affirming or are you really telling us that what we need to establish at our institution is culturally responsive? Because this idea of being flexible, adjusting to who is in the classroom, welcoming other knowledges, and I would say particularly non-Western knowledges or models or theories, making your classroom a judgment-free zone, adapting your teaching practices, and specifically teaching for cultures, particularly cultures that may not be your own, that's beyond affirmation. What do you guys think about that? Is it culturally responsive or culturally affirming? Yeah, that's uh, that's that's a really good question, right? Um, I, I think affirming is really um, um, accepting. Uh, affirming is 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 the ability to um, to be aware of. Um, but when you use the word responsive, that's a whole nother level of responsibility, right? Because when you're responsive, you have to divulge yourself into what is going on. And you have to have a level of knowledge about it. You can't be responsive to the classroom if you don't have a level of knowledge of the classroom, of the people who make up the classroom. So... my personal opinion is that there's a a learning curve that has to take place, right? Now, granted, a semester is, what, three months? um, And and three months could be, you know, enough learning curve. Uh, Some may argue that it's not, but um, there's a learning curve that takes place when you walk into the classroom and, for example, you are a white male walking into the classroom with uh, 32 uh, 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 females of color, um, to be responsive is to check yourself, right? <laughs> is to rethink um, how you are going to teach that uh, the students who are before you and, and really understand who they are and where they're coming from and what may or may not offend them and in and, and, and what ways you can deliver your information to them where that information is received in entirety as opposed to just received because you're the authority figure before the classroom. And there's a test at the end of the week and you have to know the material. You know, to Carlos's point, it's essentially professors have the power to create or destroy a student's reality, sense of self or their truth. You know, that's, that's, that's culturally affirming. You know, if you want to affirm a student, you know, you want to reiterate, you know, that their sense of self is wanted and needed. But when you're being reactive, right, you're changing that instead of just, you know, saying that, yes, your truth is valid. You're saying more than that. You're taking their unique cultural strengths, identifying them and nurturing them so that they can have higher achievement and status in your classroom. And, you know, you can, you can do the bare minimum, you know, and just say, yes, okay, I, I understand your sense of worth. I understand your sense of truth. I, I affirm that. Okay, I get it. I've taken the surface level on it. But from my point of view, right, how can I nurture you as an educator? Should I not change to be the betterment for yourself? You know, you want all students to eventually 
become greater than yourself. That's that's why we are, you know, educators. That's why we even become student leaders is so that we can allow others to, to reach higher levels of education. We want the next generation to be better. We owe it to the generation that comes after us, right? To allow them to be better, to create those stepping stones. And if, if you're being reactive, that's what you're doing. You're understanding that you need to change and identify these strengths of all the cultures that you're constantly receiving. You know, it's kind of like the idea of thinking like, oh, I have minority students. You don't have minority students. Society has created minoritized students. Mm. That's what makes them a minority, but it doesn't make them an actual minority group. You know, if I had to really put into perspective, at least one in 10 students in your classroom is going to be LGBT. That's not necessarily a minority group, but are they minoritized? Yes. And if you identify these strengths and these the, the weaknesses that they're going to experience in life and allow those strengths to grow, then you're going to become a better educator. And that's what you know, cultural responsiveness is, is going to be about. Um, I, I agree, Dean Byrne, um, because, and I was wrestling with the terms um, like culturally affirming and like inclusion and like in thinking about it, I, I realized that like affirming is a lot like just accepting, you know, and saying that like you are welcome here but to be responsive is what i described earlier is to be socially politically conscious is to have an open and adaptable curriculum so that because you are responding to the students who are presented to you even after you've created whatever curriculum and it is able to to, to grow with the class while you're teaching. I really resonate with um, what everyone said. I think it's not just enough to just acknowledge a student's um, culture or identity. I think it's also important to also practice, practice, that, to practice, practice it too, basically. It starts from the less thing, like knowing their names, properly pronouncing them because if you actually take the effort you're going to know how to it starts from not taking away the identity from them for your own comfort it starts from making making them the old person that they are and not just taking anything away from them just to make things easier for you um yeah basically practicing and not just acknowledging because without practice what that does is, yes, I see you, but but what does that really do? What does the seeing do? Like, sometimes it takes away, but does it, in the most sense of it, it doesn't really add anything, add anything to, like, my sense of identity. So it's basically practicing that, yes, you see me. Um, taking time, I had mentioned this before. Yes, there are different, there are different students from different cultural backgrounds, but what do you do as a professor to understand these people and not just and not just oh meet them the first time and talk to them based on based off stereotypical perspectives you've heard before? So yeah, it's practicing that you actually see them and not just acknowledging it. You can be both culturally affirming and culturally um, responsive, culturally responsive, um, culturally affirming can express itself as including different perspectives in whatever you're teaching and addressing different 
cultures and and basically anything that isn't Western um, in your teaching and then culturally responsive is if a student brings up something that you aren't that you aren't re- like prepared to answer um, to say I don't know and I will learn. What does it look like? What does it feel like when you enter a classroom where you know that your identity, your experiences, your ideas are welcome? That's a great question. Um, It's part of the reason why um, I have this intense burning desire to obtain my PhD at Howard University, which is an HBCU, because I don't know what that feels like um, within CUNY. I don't know what it feels like to walk into a classroom and be entirely accepted and the ideas accepted and and not be the only uh, Black kid in the classroom, right? Um, and, and, And I may be talking out of specific circumstance because I'm I'm in the psychology program and in the psychology program is a vast majority of, of women and, and a, a great level of, a great amount of them are white women. Um, uh, but I don't know what that feels like. And so to go into a institution where I can be um, me within my skin and know that when I walk into a classroom, that my skin is not being looked at as something other or something different, that my ideas and my perspectives are not being looked at as something other and something different. I have no idea how that feels. And it's, it's a shame that I'm able to say that because within the 12 years of education in America, it's been missing, right? And then you go into higher education and it's still missing there. And it's a shame that um, a person of color have a strong desire to go to an institution that is a historically black college just to see what it feels like to be accepted by their skin, to be accepted with their ideas and, and their nuances and to be culturally accepted, right? To write an essay and, and to use a vernacular that may not be used in the uh, majority culture, right? But is is used within my culture, and the professor be able to understand that and not say, "Well, this is wrong. This this doesn't belong here. You should change this." Right. Um, so, unfortunately, I have no idea how that feel within America. I have no idea how that feel within the school institution that I'm in. I have no idea how that feels because it just doesn't exist. I think for me to enter a classroom where I'm welcome, I think the simple, the simplest answer I can give is not being a target. 
I don't know how many students because of who they are, because of how they identify within the classroom, because they try to use that as leverage to learn, which they absolutely should become targets and, you know, different types of targets, you know? I don't think that I should fear if I'm going to get a 60 on an essay because I'm trans. I shouldn't fear, you know, when I do peer reviews in my English courses, that because I use the term they that I'm, my peer is going to lower my grade because they don't understand the use of a gender neutral pronoun and it's not up to me to educate them. But if there was classrooms that were culturally affirming, I think at the end of the day, it allows for a greater sense of purpose and a greater sense of learning. I come from Jersey City and I think it's one of the most diverse cities in the country. And for me, I learned a lot about the cultures around me, I don't think I ever kind of questioned to myself, like, why is this strange? Why does this out of the ordinary? Why should I reject this? Because it was normalized. You know, it was, and you know, when things were clearly wrong, even with a culture I didn't fully understand, you know, if someone said to me, this is wrong, I clearly understood that if they were speaking this to me and they were saying this to me and this was their truth, I had to educate myself further to support them. And I think when we create classrooms that are safe for, for students, or at least a space in which students can can share their identities um, in a way that allows us to to change. You know, we understand our place in society, and we understand. You know, when we go out into the world, you know, when we experience injustice, you know, it's that question of you know, justice how you know justice now, but justice how? Well, the how is the classroom. You know, the the how is you know um, creating that safe classroom for all students, and it's it's. It's allowing all students to have that experience. I think that, you know, if I, if I, how I would feel in a, in a, in a safe classroom is essentially just fully educated is my short answer. The question in itself sounds like the reason we're having this conversation, right? I think that it, it, it's such a foreign concept. We, we are literally designing the way that we talk about it in the terms that we, we, we use for it because it, it, it's something that we don't see. Um, the, the one time I can say that I, I entered a, a space in higher education that was um, culturally affirming was um, in my first semester at LaGuardia Community College. I enrolled in a cluster um, course that was um, titled Black Lives Matter. And all of the courses were connected. Um, it was English 101, Psychology 101, um, Public Speaking, and, uh, and the psychology course was, it was Black Psychology, it was Black Psychology. Well, it was actually titled African American Psychology, where we learned um, that, um, there were terms for um, slaves who who ran away, and that these that these were deemed actual mental illnesses, um, and and other things like of that nature. Um, when we entered the first class in our English 101 course, the professor was playing a J Cole song, and um, the the J Cole song was 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 speaking to. The, the issues that was happening. And this was during the time of um, Colin Kaepernick when he kneeled. And so like that was a, a, a very like 
culturally affirming moment to me because I felt like from, from that moment, I felt like I could share any pain that I was feeling during that time in that classroom and I wouldn't be judged for it. I think for me, the times when I do feel like um, I'm in a safe space, uh, mostly when I talk to people who tend to be immigrants themselves or people who travel a lot amongst like the professors or are well or or are like internationally woke. Let me just put it that way. And then there are sometimes classes where um, you get scared of making your identity known because they already said like the precedent of, oh, this is what this kind of people, like this is what this kind of people do. For example, you, uh, the, typical exam, the typical example, whenever they mention oh, my country and most college classrooms, Nigeria, is saying they scam people a lot. Like that's the typical example. It's like saying the Nigerian prince scams. And what that does for me is when you ask me where I'm from, I guess scared to say anything because you already have like a set like notion for me. So most often than not, I don't feel safe or feel comfortable sharing where I'm from, except it's around people I know are also kind of like in the same ship as me, like an immigrant with a story or a background. Well, it sounds to me like we have a lot of work to do in rethinking and reshaping some of the items in this definition or this description of our college goal, but also in amplifying the voices of our students. What you're describing is profound and certainly helps us to really make sense of a lot of what our previous guests have said, but from your experiences and your vision of, of what your experiences could be, it, it brings it into um, just a, a, a more um, tangible or touchable kind of, I can see it now, and I appreciate that. So thank you very much. My kind of last question to you, because as you know, we're attempting to do something that the college hasn't done before, which is have a campus-wide conversation about this in order to build a framework and a plan for moving it forward. Is there anything that's not been said yet in all of the conversations you've been in and all of the things that you've been reading? Is there anything that hasn't been said yet that needs to go on the record and into this conversation? Um, I think the basic thing that needs to be said is you matter. All students, all educators, you matter your opinion matters. And I think that that's worthy of merit. You know, I think um, there's this kind of saying, it's like, well, what do the older generations want from younger generations? They want recognition that they made it this far. 
And what do the younger generations want from the older generations? Well, they want recognition that they are, in fact, adults now. And I think it's time that we just say that out loud for everybody to understand. exercise for our faculty would be to really listen to these student voices about what the optimal experience for culturally responsive, inclusive, and anti-racist experiences in the classroom would look like and feel like, and ask yourself, where do my approaches, where does my curriculum, my teaching strategies, where does that stack up in relation to what I've heard? And what could I do to enhance or improve or change one thing to reflect the ideal that our students would thrive in? It's a valuable exercise because I do believe that when we Um, engage with this intentionally and deliberately, we might find exactly what each of us can do to make our classrooms more welcoming and open and just for the students that we serve. Long gone. 